0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Genesis chapter 3. If I can find my notes here. I don't see my notes. Here we are. Guess where they were? In Genesis chapter 3. Okay. I have a tough time sometimes when I'm adjusting. Take off the piano player hat. Come back back to the preacher hat here. Genesis chapter 3. Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to be in verse 7 is where we're going to start. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Last week we dealt with the first six verses of this chapter. And we dealt with the, the thought, voices and choices, and how... Uh, Really, uh, everything is good until we we introduce the wrong voice into our lives. And in this case, in this story, it was Satan. He came, and as the opposing voice to God's word, he convinced Adam and Eve to take the fruit and disobey. Well, we're going to begin in verse 7 today, and this is after they've eaten. And it says in verse 7, "...and the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked." And he, God said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also, and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of thy face. Shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground? For out of it wast thou taken; for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And I just think in this moment there had to be so much regret from Adam and Eve. This moment, this sin that looked like oh, it'd be no big deal to take a bite, and it led literally to their to their death. Both their physical death, but in that moment also their spiritual death. And in that moment, a Redeemer had to be promised to make up for this decision that was made. And today I want to preach to you, uh, I'm titling it, The World's Worst Cover-Up. The World's Worst Cover-Up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for your people and their desire to be here. I pray that you'd help all of our attention and focus to be on your word. You do have something for us. And God, it's not even if I got up and read it, it'd be powerful enough to make a difference in our lives. I pray that you'd help me to help it and, and make it more clear and not do anything to hinder God's word from being used in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. It's always interesting to me to watch how different people respond to the same thing. For instance, I was as I was sitting down here thinking about the music today and and singing, "Oh how I love Jesus," and and singing, uh, "Revive us again." In my heart, my heart was being stirred by that this morning. I was thankful for the truths, and I I'm a, I like music. I, I I can tend to get emotional when it comes to music, and for some people, the music moves you, it inspires you, it it encourages you, and then you've got others that could really take it or leave it. I was talking to Brother Mark Griebel, and when you talk to Mark Griebel about music, he's like, eh, <laughs> meh. He just, it just doesn't, he doesn't relate to it. And I was like, you're going to have a tough time in heaven when all, in all eternity, we're all singing. You're like, meh, over in the corner. <laughs> I think about art. I was talking to Brother Keith Walk this week about going to an art gallery, and when I go to an art gallery, I, I mean, I typically, I look at the paintings, but I'm also looking for like the vending machine, you know. <laughs> I like the art, there, there are certain pieces that I enjoy, but Brother Keith, you know, he's kind of, a, he's an artist and he likes to just look at it and analyze it and appreciate it and take it in. I'm not typically one of those guys that can just look at a painting for a real long time. Uh, I, I think about this area in the area of sports, you know, how people respond differently to different things. I, I took my son, uh, the Steens gifted us with a couple of tickets to a Canaries game a, a couple of weeks ago, and so I took Jace, he's my seven-year-old son, and we're sitting there as his first, I think it was his first big sporting event, you know, I mean, Canaries game, big time, you know. We're sitting there in the, in the stadium, and, and it was funny to watch how different people responded to the game. I've never been to a Canaries game. I don't know much about them. And so I'm a fan, just not that much of a fan yet. But there were those there that obviously they were fans and they've been fans for a long time. They were yelling at every batter. They were cheering for every hit. And they were they were cheering for every out. I mean, they were excited about the game. And yet on the same row, others just quietly sat and took it all in and they never made a sound. My, my, my son made lots of noise because he was asking to go visit the concession stand every five minutes. That was his idea of what you do at a baseball game. You know, the same th- thing that excites certain people has no impact on the next guy. I, mean, I don't know why that is. We just have, have different personalities. We have different experiences. I was talking to somebody recently about motorcycles, and, and they were commenting on how passionate people get about riding motorcycles. And, and once you get the bug, it, you know, you're just, its uh, I think people call it wind therapy or... Whatever they call it, you know, you just get passionate about riding it, uh, riding a motorcycle. And they were talking about Sturgis, and, and I was said, you know, wouldn't it be easier just to get a trailer and pull your motorcycle over to Sturgis? Then when you get there, just then you can ride it through the hills. And I didn't realize that that, that question could cost me my man card. So I quickly withdrew my question and said, never mind, let's, let's scratch that from the conversation. You know, I don't know much about motorcycles. I I didn't know that part of it is you got to drive there if you're going to go to Sturgis. You know, different people respond to this, to the same thing in different ways. It's interesting what may get you really excited might not be a big deal to me. What I'm passionate about may not matter much to you. So imagine this, this is all leading up to a point, I promise. Imagine this then, as different as one person is from the next. I mean, you and one other person in the same pew... As different as you two are, and as different as your responses are to certain situations, consider the difference between a man and God. And our responses are on a certain level because we're men. But God's are on a totally different level because He's God. And the difference is immeasurable. God is the holy, eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, righteous creator of the universe... And we are finite, limited, and flawed creations. We have a sin nature handed down to us from our first two original parents, Adam and Eve. We have limited knowledge. We have limited understanding. The difference between God and us is greater than the difference between the world's largest ocean and this cup of water right here. The difference between God and us, uh, it's like the difference between the Grand Canyon and a small little crack in the sidewalk. That's the difference, and it's really even greater than that. We just have to understand things like that to even begin to wrap our minds around the difference between us and God. God knows everything, and compared to God, we know nothing. God is everything, and without sounding insensitive, we are nothing. Psalm 8, 4 says, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? I mean, he is so far above us. So if the difference between us and God is that vast, imagine then how different our responses to things are. Uh, Things that seem big to us aren't very big to God. I think about Bible examples. I think about the, the Red Sea crossing and how the Israelites were standing there with the Red Sea in front of them and the Egyptian army behind them, and it seemed like an impossible situation, but to God, it was no big deal. I think about the resurrection You know, rising from the dead was an impossibility to the average man, but to God, nothing is impossible. Things that seem big to us, folks, are small to God. And we look at the heavens, and we look at the stars at night, and I was doing this the other night, and just imagining how far it is out there, and the night was full of stars, and I can't even begin to fathom the distances, yet Isaiah 66 says, The heaven is thy throne and the earth is thy footstool. I mean, the difference is so great. We really can't compare it. But if, if, if we are that opposite of God, then the reverse is true as well, and that things that may seem small to us just might be big to God. See, for example, Jesus Christ said we should have faith, but he said if we have faith as the grain of a mustard seed that we can move mountains. He can do things for us we never imagined. That's a small thing to us, that amount of faith. But in God's eyes, it's big. But it's also true in the negative. See, some things that seem small to us might seem much bigger to God because he has better perspective. For instance, I think about pride. You know, and I'm going to just call it, I'm going to use the word today, and I know it's not popular but the word, I'm going to use the word sin quite a bit today. You know, the word pride is something that it, it's, we just accept as part of the human experience now. And you see these guys on on TV playing professional sports. And I'm kind of enjoying the fact that they're not playing professional sports right now. I think that's pretty good that that idol has, at least for a moment, has been removed from our culture. But there's so much pride to just... Uh, Culture, every day, all day, everywhere you go, and it doesn't seem like that big of a deal because we're used to it, but Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. What seems small to us is not small to God when it comes to sin. You know, hatred seems to be part of our culture these days. I mean, drive down the street and see how cars and people interact with each other and you know that hatred is very much a part of our culture. I was just saw it on 41st yesterday. I mean, the traffic down there, they got construction and people, I mean, they're about coming to blows because of the traffic. I mean, hatred's part of our culture. And we think, well, it's just part of it. But First John 3 says, whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. What seems big or small to us is a big deal to God when it comes to sin. Jesus Christ said in Matthew 5, 28, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, he hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And what seems like no big deal, it's a multi-million dollar industry and pornography and these things. What seems like no big deal these days, God, it's a big deal. Sin matters to God. And we excuse sin as being small while God sees sin as big. Isaiah 5, 20, and this does sum up our culture. It says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Do we not live in a culture that calls good evil and evil good? Things that don't seem big to most people, they are big to God. And we must view sin as the serious offense that it is, or else we will find ourselves responding to it one way, no big deal, why God, a holy God responds to it in a different way. Sin is so commonplace now. And yet to God, he as a holy God never gets used to it. What's small to us is big to God. And we see that here in Genesis 3. Because Adam and Eve had just sinned for the first time. And in their minds, you had to think, well, it can't be that big of a deal. It can't really have that much of an impact if I just take a bite of this fruit. We detailed some of this last week. We're not going to review all of it. But Satan comes in the form of a servant. He questions God's word. He deceives Eve into disobeying God's command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She does it anyway. And then she convinces Adam to eat. One wrong voice showed up. They made the wrong choice. They disobeyed God and they sinned. And it doesn't take long for them to realize something's wrong. See, what seemed like not a big deal to them, after just one split second... Their decision, immediately, they started to feel the effects of it. Look at verse 7. It says, And the eyes of them both were opened. The eyes of them both were opened. They knew. They suddenly, they saw things differently. Whereas, listen, whereas before, they only knew good because all that God created was good, and everything they saw was good. Well, now, sin is present, and they're also aware of evil. Remember, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Immediately, they're aware of evil. They'd never seen it before, and now their eyes are open. Look again, verse 7. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Now, other places in Scripture call light a garment for the righteous, and I don't know how it works exactly, but I do kind of tend to believe that it could be that before the fall, God's light hid their shame. They, they were clothed in God's light. They didn't have shame because they were naked. They didn't even think about it. But now that sin is present, they see their own nakedness, and they realize it's a shame ...to be exposed to creation... ...and it's a shame to be exposed before God. See, God places within each of us... ...this natural sense of modesty. It's unnatural to show off... uh, ...throw off those inhibitions... ...and lose a sense of being covered up... ...no matter how acceptable it is becoming in our culture. It's good for us to remember that... ...that that the, the awareness of... ...or the desire for modesty... ...it came as a result of sin... So there's something innate in us that should strive for modesty. Once Adam and Eve fill this awareness of sin and the resulting shame, this is where we see the difference between man and God based on their responses. There's a big difference here. You see, man's response, and this is kind of, if there's two big points, this is the first big point, is that man's response to sin is a cover-up. Look again at verse 7. It says, they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So they sew these fig leaves together and they make aprons to cover their shame. And this is an interesting response here. See, they know who God is and they know he sees and that he knows everything. If he created the planet and the stars and all the animals and even them, I find it fascinating to think they believe that fig leaves will hide the truth from an all seeing God. God. This has to be the world's worst cover-up attempt. See, think of we commonly view these, these conspiracies and these big things in history, these big cover-ups like the JFK assassination and Watergate and Area 51, and half of you are saying, that's true. I believe that one. Area 51. Now we got coronavirus to throw into the mix of the biggest cover-ups in history. And listen, if someone ever develops a list called the worst cover-ups in history. The great garden of Eden leaf cover-up would top the list. See, it makes you wonder if they thought they could truly trick God. If they truly thought they could hide their disobedience. If they actually thought that their sin can be hidden from an almighty, all-knowing God. And their next actions caused me to believe they knew it was not going to be enough. See, look at verse 8. It says, "...and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day." And Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. If Adam and Eve had had believed that the fig leaves that they sewed together, those aprons that they put on their bodies, if they thought that those aprons would be enough, they would have just stepped right out and said, hey God, here we are. But they know that cover-up is not good enough to hide from an all-seeing, all-knowing God. God comes walking in the garden to meet with with them and they're hiding in the trees. The indication here is that this, they were expecting God. There was a pattern of fellowship established. The fact that they hide from him after they sowed the fig leaves together means they're thinking this is not going to work. Fig leaves can't hide their fear from God. No one has to tell them that. Hiding in the trees is not going to be good enough either. And I just want you to think about what's happening here. What seemed like a small thing to them, eating a piece of fruit... ...turns into something much more significant because God sees sin differently than we we do. They're realizing just how big of a deal sin is to God. This awareness of sin and shame they're feeling. This wasn't part of Satan's promises. You know, and this is like the song Brother Samuel saying, You know, that sin promises all of these things, but we find ourselves just defeated... It never delivers on its promises. Satan didn't come and say, your eyes are gonna be open and you're gonna know sin and shame. No, he said, you're gonna be like God. You're gonna know, you're gonna see good and evil. Everything's gonna be open to you. But he didn't let them know that there were these, these consequences. That wasn't part of the plan. And they're finding out that, that sin is bigger to God than it was to them. We never realized just, and you can tell me this too, and if you've lived any length of time at all and you've lived any life at all, We never realize just how big sin is... ...until we're sowing fig leaves together... ...trying to cover it up... ...and realizing it's not good enough. You've been there, I've been there before. See, Adam and Eve quickly realize sin is so big to God... ...you can't hide it with fig leaves. This is the world's worst cover-up. Sin can't be hidden from God. After we sin, we have an intrinsic understanding... ...that something is wrong. We know immediately our fellowship with God has been broken... As sinners, we can't be in God's presence with sin. He's holy and we're not. And here's our response. Rather than take care of it, rather than try to fix it, we cover it up. Like somebody at a crime scene who commits a crime and immediately they know, well, I've got to do something to hide it. So they, they start hiding the evidence and they get out the bleach or they clean up the carpet or they get rid of the evidence or they cover their tracks or they burn it all down and they hide when the law comes. They do whatever it takes to hide what they've done. And we think that it's silly. Why would Adam and Eve think they could sow fig leaves and hide from God? But don't we do it all the time? You know, we know that we're not good enough. And we know that we've got sin. And we know there's something in our lives that shouldn't be there. But rather than take care of the problem, we cover it up with fig leaves. Figurative. You know, I want people to think I'm more spiritual than I really am. And, but I'm really not as spiritual as I want to be. So fig leaves. I mean, all I've got to do, do is go buy a suit now. You want to stand out in this culture by a suit and wear a tie, man. We were at um, a gas station just this week. I preached at a preachers' fellowship meeting. It's about ten o'clock at night, and I was with the J- brother Jacob, brother Samuel, and, and they've got they constantly want to eat all the time. Doesn't matter the time. I mean, we went to a gas station, then we went to Taco Bell. We're standing in the gas station, suits and ties, and this woman comes up to us and she like, "What do you guys just? Did you guys just have a funeral or something?" Am I, I mean, man, is my countenance look that depressed? I mean, like in her mind, she didn't even think about church. She thought we may maybe been at a funeral. You know, you want to stand out these days, go buy a suit and a tie. But, but listen, I, I'm all for dressing up because I think that God deserves the best that we have. I believe that. I think we ought to dress up because he deserves it. But listen, some people, that's their fig leaf. You know, rather than be, actually be spiritual... They hide it with how they look and how they appear. And, and I've done it before. We've all done it before where we aren't where we're supposed to be, but we think fig leaves. I mean, I can hide this. Or maybe I want people, or I've sinned in my life, and I, I don't want anybody to know about it. So we put on a good face, and, and we carry a good countenance, and we act like everything's right. And modern fig leaves are all around us in and, and religious activity. And, you know, we draw nigh to God with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. Modern fig leaves, we look the part and we wear spiritual masks and smiles and clothing and we're just looking the part. In life in general, you know, you go down certain neighborhoods in Sioux Falls and every, every yard is manicured and the landscaping's immaculate and everything's clean and they've got um, cars that cost more than my house in the driveway, you know. Life in general, people think, I want everyone to think that I've got it all together. And they sew these fig leaves together, but inside the home, it's a spiritual mess. Unsaved folks, if you've never received Christ as your savior, this is for you too. Listen, your sin is what separates you from God. If you're not saved this morning, your fellowship is broken and it will never be restored as long as you spend your energy on a cover up. See, we're good at sowing fig leaves and and attempting to hide or excuse or cover up our sins as if it will simply go away. And and we're thinking, well, if nobody sees it, it won't be a problem. But I, I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, just having some illness. I think about cancer and it's affected so many people and it's affected my family too. And I think of families in here that have dealt with it. But listen, if someone finds out they have cancer and someone says, oh, just ignore it, it'll go away. How wise is that? You know, just pretend like it's not there and just go on with your life and as long as you can convince everyone that things are okay, you're going to be fine. And we say, that's the silliest thing. We would never risk that with our health, but people do it all the time spiritually. See, they're hiding sin behind fig leaves and and thinking, well, as long as I keep it secret, it won't hurt me. But it's not true. The sin of Adam and Eve caused them to die spiritually. The soul that sinneth, it shall die, the Bible says. This first sin has terrible consequences. We just read most of them in our text today. So for us to keep our sin hidden behind fig leaves is like allowing disease to fester in our body and not deal with it. It's like having a leak behind your sink in the bathroom and you know it's leaking into the frame of your home and but you hide it or you cover it up or build something in front of it so nobody sees the leak and you think that's going to take care of it but the leak is still there and it's still very slowly causing mold to creep up and deteriorating the frame of your home and if you hide your face from it if you pretend like it's not there it will not just go away and sin is the same thing sin is not one of those things that won't hurt you if you don't know about it it causes death You can sow fig leaves, but you know the relationship is still broken. Nobody has to tell Adam and Eve to be afraid of God showing up. Most people, more more people should be afraid. And I don't just mean afraid as in afraid, I mean fear. We should fear God. We should respect him enough to know that he sees everything we're doing. And while we're pretending with everybody else that the life we're living is, is just fine, God sees every action. He knows every thought, folks. And you should have more fear of what God sees than we do. What may seem small to us is big to God. We know that based on his response to Adam and Eve's sin. See, their response to sin was cover-up. But God's response to sin, number two, is confession. See, their response is cover-up. His response is, nope, if we're going to take care of this... There needs to be confession. See, God comes seeking them. And this is exciting. I want you to hear this. See, from the very beginning, God has always been the one in pursuit of man. He's the one seeking a relationship. And it's a blessing to know. I just want you to get this. A lot of times we get to feeling like God abandons us or God doesn't care about us. But I want to remind you that it's a blessing even after poor choices. God is still pursuing Adam and Eve. He doesn't say, oh, they blew it. I'm not talking to them anymore. No, he still comes to the garden in the cool of the day, and he still comes calling their name. And yes, he comes confronting their sin, but his goal in confrontation is not humiliation. It's restoration. God's goal in confrontation is not humiliation. It's restoration. And I think as a parent, I could use that lesson a little bit more. When I'm confronting my children, sometimes I want them to feel it, and I want them to feel it so hard I almost go at times toward humiliation. That's not how God does it here. He's seeking restoration. He wants the relationship to still be there. He wants the relationship to still be strong. God came to help man make things right. Everyone acts like, you know, people all these days, they they act like God is such a mean God and he's so judgmental and he's just kind of fire and wrath but just quote john 3 16 to them to remind them of the kind of god that he is for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to die on the cross for their sin the very very next verse listen it says god sent not a son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved God didn't come seeking um, humiliation and annihilation. He came seeking restoration. He came to restore the unbro- the broken uh, relationship between sinners. He wants what's wrong to be made right. So he comes and he uses his word to confront sin. Look at verse eight. It says, "And they heard the voice of the Lord God." They heard the voice. Verse nine. It says, "And the Lord God called unto Adam." Listen, God's word has always been the catalyst for everything in Genesis Genesis to this point. So creation came about by God's word. Everything that that was made was good was by God's word. God uses his word for creation, but he also uses his word for confrontation and restoration. He comes using his words to reach out to men. And you know what? He's still doing it today. And I this isn't in my notes, but folks, there's somebody in here, and you're hiding behind fig leaves, and you're maybe even hiding in the trees, and you're away from God, and the relationship is broken. And even right now, he's using his word to confront you. He's using his word to call to you. Not for humiliation, not for not, not to make you feel just bad about it and, and embarrass you. No, but, but he wants the relationship to be restored and right now stop hiding behind the fig leaves come out from behind the trees he's calling you with his word he wants the relationship to be restored and there's no reason you have to leave the building this morning still broken in that relationship it can be repaired his word right now is through the holy spirit being illuminated in your life he's using it to confront you We just have to take the step when we hear his word. Look at God's interrogation here. He asks two questions. The first is rhetorical. Look at verse 9. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? God comes and says, Where art thou? I love this. And we're going to get back to it later. But I love how it's rhetorical. He knows, first, he knows where they are, doesn't he? But second... If he really was wondering where they were, Adam would have answered and said, we're over here, God. No, but Adam doesn't answer with where he is. Adam answers with an explanation. You ever done that with your children? And you're saying, you know, your children do something. And you're saying, what did you do? And they don't tell you what they did. They just start explaining why they did it. And they go through this long explanation. Well, she said this, and she did this. And I was just just passively. Isn't it amazing how every child is just passively standing there, an innocent bystander? I was just standing there, and all this stuff happened, and they did this, and they did that. And You know, that's is kind of what, what ha- happens here, because look at Adam's answer in verse 10, and he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. He didn't say, where, or he didn't answer, where art thou? He said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. His answer is obviously born out of fear that God knows what happened. But in answering the question, he gives himself away. And good parents, this is a good tactic here. You know, you listen for their answers. And when he says, I I knew that I was naked, then, then the Lord latches onto that and he gives himself away. And the Lord in verse 11 says, who told thee that thou was naked? You ever done that with your kids? And they answer a question and they say a detail or give you a detail that they didn't mean to slip in there. And you're like, oh, wait, what about that? Let's go back to that one. Their eyes get real big, like, I think I just gave myself away here. God says, who told thee that thou was naked? Say, did you eat of the tree that I commanded you not to eat of? See, the first question is, where are you? The second question is very specific. The first question is general. The second requires a specific answer. And we're starting to see how God deals with sin. See, man, when they they commit sin, it's a cover-up. When God commits sin, he, or God sees sin, I shouldn't say that, when God sees us commit sin, he's not looking for a cover-up, he's looking for confession. He's asking questions to get down to the root of it. He's trying to figure out exactly what he knows, he knows but he's trying to get them to the place where they admit their sin. See, when their sin, God confronts it head-on. He doesn't skirt around it. He's not interested in cover-ups. He's looking for confessions. He confronts the sins, he asks specific questions, he wants Adam and Eve to simply admit what they've done, to confess what they've done, to say about their sin what God says about their sin, that's confession. And it's very important that as we're getting down to this, where the point is really going to be made, it's very important that we understand the difference between us and God when it comes to sin. You see, we cover it up. We'd rather hide it, we'd rather cover it up, we'd rather pretend like it's not there and just move on. But listen, if we think our sin is small enough that it won't hurt us, we've got it all wrong. The reason God wants confession is he knows unless we get sin out in the open, it will never be dealt with and it will destroy us from the inside out. For the wages of sin is death. Sin, James 1, sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death ignoring sin folks is like ignoring spiritual cancer ignoring sin is like ex- ignoring a spiritual water leak the only way to actually deal with sin is to expose it it's time to remove the sheet the sheetrock it's time to get back there and find the leak right where it is not because of humiliation And not because, well, you know, they're just trying to embarrass me or make life hard. No, no, because dealing with the sin, you've got to expose it first. It has to be confessed. It has to be admitted. It has to come out. And here's why. Because the consequences of unconfessed sin are greater than the consequences of confessed sin. Let me explain that again. See, the reason that you go into the wall and you tear out the sheetrock and you find the, line, the water line there and you fix it is because the consequence of hiding it are far greater than the consequence of fixing it. Right now, it may be a small leak. Right now, it may require, okay, you're going to have to replace the sheetrock. You might have to get some more insulation. You might have to replace a water line in there and get it taken care of. But what's cheaper? That... Or having to rebuild the whole subfloor in your bathroom. Having to tear out a whole bathroom and rebuild a wall. what, What costs less? See, listen, the consequences of unconfessed sin are greater than the cost of confessed sin. And yet we don't see it that way. That's how God sees it. See, unconfessed sin keeps our relationship with God broken. Confessed sin restores it. Unconfessed sin means we pay for our sins, but confessed sin means Jesus Christ pays for our sins. Unconfessed sin will leave you miserable with no peace and no rest. Read Psalm 32 if you want to see what it feels like to have your bones waxing old through the roaring all the day long. For the day, all day and night, thy hand, it says, was heavy upon me. But Psalm 32 says, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest my iniquity. See, listen, the unconfessed sinner, uh, he sits there covering it up, and he can't sleep at night. And it's heavy on his heart. But when the, con- the, the confessor, when he comes and admits his sin, and he gets it right, he's got peace. He can sleep. See, that same chapter says, blessed is the man to uh, whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity and and in whose spirit there is no guile. Blessed means happy. Unconfessed sin, folks, here it is. Unconfessed sin will leave you miserable. Like ignoring a disease instead of treating it, but confessed sin will make you happy. God is looking for a confession, but Adam and Eve gave excuses. I'm not going to get into all this, but it took Adam 16 words to finally say, "I did eat." He said, "But the woman that thou gavest me." First, he blames the woman, and then he blames God, and he's blaming everybody. And that's that's the culture we live in, isn't it? Everybody else is to blame. Or you should have seen the home I was raised in. Or you should see how my dad treated me when I was a child. Or you should see the neighborhood I grew up in. And we're blaming and we're blaming. Listen, I know those things are hard to overcome sometimes. But every person makes a choice. In this very chapter right here, they're in a perfect environment and they still sin. It's not about our environment. Then Eve comes along and she blames the the serpent. I mean, they're all blaming each other. And I think, again, we see that man's response to sin is a cover-up. Hide it. Make excuses. And I'm asking you here today, is that you? See, are you covering up some sin in your life that no one else knows about? And if so, the world may be blind to it, but there's one that sees it all. God hears every word. God knows every thought. God watches every click of yours on the internet. God knows every, every website that you open on your phone. He sees every text message that you send, and he knows every phone call that you've ever made. Listen, he reads, and he hears it, and he knows it. He hears it all. And one day, he will be your judge. The only way to continue living in the presence of God and experiencing his perfect peace is to confess your sins this morning. Not to me. Not to a priest. We don't have a booth in the back. No, we have a high priest. His name is Jesus Christ. And he gives you direct access to the Father. This morning, if you're saved, stop being miserable. Get it right. If you're unsaved, admit that your sin is what will keep you eternally separated from God. It will keep you out of heaven. He doesn't ask you to pay for your sins. He already sent his son to do that. You know what what God asks for you? To confess, to simply come and admit your sin. Acknowledge it. Pull open the sheetrock. And let's get down to the problem and fix it. My question this morning to you is: where art thou? Friend, where art thou? God moves in the form of the Holy Spirit. He's moving among us and he's saying, Where are you? Where art thou? He's in our midst this morning, and he's asking, where are you? And in my opinion, there are two categories of people. There's number one, those that are, that are involved in the world's worst cover-up. They're covering their sins, and they're hiding it, and you're making excuses, and you think if you hide it, it will be okay. But on, then there's on the other side, there's those that are confessors. They're the ones that keep a short account with God. They're the ones that every day genuinely admit their sin when they know there's a sin. They're the ones you're willing to admit when you're wrong. You're not willing to let sin linger and build up and destroy your life. And there are two categories of people in this room. There are those that are not right with God and those that are right with God. There are those that are covering their sin and those that are willing to confess their sin. There's the cover-ups and the confessors. And let me just tell you this, only one group really sleeps at night. The other group may get some sleep, but they don't ever really get rest. Only one group, the confessors, those that are right with God, only this group enjoys a walk with God. The other group has a broken relationship. Only one group over here, this group, they have a, only they have a clear conscience even right now. The other is heavy with guilt. One group is ready for when God comes seeking and calling, and the other is certainly not ready for when God comes and shows up. Listen, while the cover-ups try to hide their sin behind fig leaves, the confessors can rest easy because they realize no matter what they do, their sin is too big to hide. So you know what they've done? They've trusted in something bigger than fig leaves. They've trusted in the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ. Folks, His blood doesn't just cover up sins, it washes it away. 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son cleanseth us from all sin. It says cleanseth, not covers up. Colossians 1, 14, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Revelation 1, 5, says Jesus Christ washes us from our sins in His own blood. And if our attempt... To hide our sins is the world's worst cover up. The blood of Jesus Christ is the world's best and only cleanser. See he doesn't hide it he doesn't conceal it he washes it away. So I'm asking you today where are you? Where do you stand with God? Where are you this morning? Are you concealing your sin behind fig leaves? Are you hiding in the trees? And like God must have done, it's like, Adam, I see you. I know where you're at. Adam, come on out. Where are you? I know where you are. You have to admit where you are. So, Adam, come on out and let's make it right. Are you still, folks? If, are you still in the cover ups? Are you still trying to figure out what to do with your sin? Listen, if you stay there, you will remain there for eternity. But we must all heed 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not covered up, cleanse. And you say, I don't know, I, I just don't know if he'll have me. Pastor, you don't know what I've done. And that's True. But God does. And he still wants a relationship. He's still in the garden. And he's still asking. Where are you? Because he wants you. He wants a relationship. He died for you. Knowing what you were going to do. His blood is enough. And if you'll come with humility. Proverbs 28.13 says. He that covereth his. Shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Friend, God wants to show you mercy this morning. He wants to restore you. But it's time to come clean about your sin. It's time to admit your impurity. It's time to admit your sexual sin. Young people in here, it's time to admit your rebellion toward your parents. Nobody else sees it, but it's a leak behind the wall. It's time to admit your substance abuse. It's time to confess, Christian, your, your critical spirit. Christian, it's time to confess your anger. It's time to confess your hatred. It's time to confess your bitterness. And you think, well, it's a small thing, and it won't hurt me, but in God's eyes, it's a very big deal. Because He knows if sin is unconfessed, The consequences of unconfessed sin are far greater than the consequences of confessed sin. Unconfessed sin breaks your fellowship with God and it will destroy your your spiritual life and then you're just left with your sin. But confessed sin finds God's forgiveness and mercy and restoration. So you tell me which one sounds better. Better. That which may seem small to us is much bigger to a holy God. Our sin is far worse to God than we recognize. And it's far more harmful to us than we know. So it's time to go from this category over here. When God comes calling, where are you? I'm in the cover-ups right now. But it's time to transition from the cover-ups to the confessors. Because if you leave it covered up, it will destroy you. But if you'll confess it, you get God's mercy. You tell me which of those options sounds better today. Every head bowed, every eye closed.